The reading is from the book of Exodus, starting at chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bicumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds at the river's bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now a daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and lo, the babe was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will pay you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. For she said, because I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. We finally finished chapter 1. It only took two weeks. Uh, at this breakneck speed, I'm beginning to have nosebleed. This text I read you this morning, this evening, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, you're going to get that next time, too, same reading. I can't possibly, this is such a rich text, I can't possibly say how I want to say about it in one sermon. Again, you notice the theme there, which shows that the, consistently the Hebrews are much smarter than the Egyptians. You get that. This is the only the only case in all of history where a woman was paid to nurse her own baby. That's supposed to be extremely funny, by the way. And when you read it, you, you know, uh, but I can't get you people to laugh. Now, in these ten verses... We learn that Moses was born of the family of Levi, the priestly tribe, and that he had an older sister, later identified as Miriam. His parents' names, though we learn them only later, were Amrab and Jochebed. This sister, now introduced to the reader, become an important character in the rest of the Moses saga. 
we will not hear of her again till she shows up with the tambourine beside the Red Sea in chapter 15. At that time, she'll be called a prophetess. She is indeed the first woman in the Bible to be so called. Now let's come to the birth of Moses. The birth of Moses is described in what I think is one of the most puzzling verses in all of Holy Scripture. I've been around for lots of births. I've visited lots of ladies in the hospital within hours. In more than half a century of doing that, not a single time has the mother ever said to me, this kid is kind of good looking, I think I'll keep him. But that's what happens tonight. That's what happens tonight. Okay. Boy, what a beautiful baby. Let's keep him. <laughs> this verse tells why Moses' mother did not drown him at birth. For the purpose of introducing this verse, pardon me, hang on a second. No, skip the page. Of introducing this subject as a matter of inquiry, but without recommending the accuracy of the translation, I quote the relevant verse in the New King James Bible. When she saw he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. This translation here says, she saw he was a goodly child, so he, she, kept, she hid him three months. Now this verse is puzzling in two ways. First, taken as a plain assertion, he was beautiful, so she hid him. This verse just won't do. Are we to imagine that all the other little Hebrew boys were ugly? Since the beauty in Moses' case is given as the reason for his parents' refusal to obey Pharaoh's command, we suspect a deeper and subtler significance is intended. Second, ancient interpreters of this verse, though differing among themselves somewhat about the details, agree that his meaning is more mysterious than it first appears. He was a good-looking kid, so we didn't kill him. There has to be more to it than that. We can begin with the New Testament witnesses. Stephen and the author of the Epistle of the Hebrews, in their reading of this verse... are following the Greek translation. Greek translation. The adjective in the Greek translation is osteos. Osteos. This is the word used in the Septuagint to describe Moses. Osteos. Although the word appears everywhere in ancient literature, meaning beautiful or well-formed, each of these sources recognize that the appearance of the newborn Moses 
was of a quality different from merely human beauty. Thus, in St. Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts, when he describes this, after the adjective osteos, Stephen adds the qualifying expression to theo, beautiful to God, beautiful to God, which effectively changes the sense of the verse, which means well-pleasing to God. And this is something his mother saw. Moreover, Stephen was describing Moses himself, his relationship to the Lord, not his mother's assessment of the child. In fact, Stephen does not even mention Moses' mother. In the epistle to the Hebrews, where the appearance of the newborn Moses is given as the reason why his parents were not afraid of the king's command, the entire context is one of faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months by his parents because that he saw, they saw the child was asteos, good-looking, well-formed, beautiful. Here the point is very subtle. When the parents look upon little Moses, they were able to discern by faith, by faith, some aspect of the child's appearance that was not otherwise obvious. We recall that this section of Hebrews began by defining faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In Hebrews 11, faith invariably has to do with, with an adherence to an unseen future. That's big in Hebrews. Faith is adherence to an unseen future. In context, what does that mean? The infant Moses then gave evidence of something hoped for, but not yet seen. Most kids do that. And faith granted his parents a special discernment in this regard. Those early Christian interpretations of Exodus are not unlike those found among ancient Jewish writers of the text. Pardon me, readers of the text. Two, two, we have two Jewish writers contemporary with the New Testament itself. For example, Philo of Alexandria wrote that the newborn Moses had a beauty more than human. And Josephus enthusiastically agreed, making it a point of lengthy and detailed narrative. This past week I read all of Josephus's, he has about five pages describing the beauty of Moses. A thousand years later, in the north of France, the rabbi Horashi went even further, speculating that the house was filled with light at Moses' birth. He's getting that from ancient rabbis. Indeed, Rashi wrote, when Pharaoh's daughter opened the little basket floating on the Nile, she beheld the Shekinah, the luminous cloud of the divine glory. Now, these readings from the text, differing among themselves in detail, are in accord in their search for a deeper, subtler meaning in the Bible's description of the newborn Moses. You didn't think I could talk forever and ever and ever on a, new, on a newborn baby, could you? We're just getting warmed up. What time is, what time is do I have to tomorrow? 
All these writers were persuaded that his beautiful appearance was revelatory of God's purpose. Now, following an identical persuasion, and by the way, I'm taking most of this sermon from an article published in Touchstone several years ago. Aren't I, Jim? I thought it was a really good article. I thought the article was outstanding. Most of the authors that I've cited, Rashi being the exception, based their interpretations of Exodus 2-2 on the Septuagint, Osteos. I suggest that we look more closely at the Hebrew text. The Hebrew text asserts of, mother, of, of Moses' mother, Batara Oto Hitovhu. Tara Oto Kitovhu. Literally. She saw that he was good. Tov. Tov means good. She saw that he was good. Does that sound like anything else you've read in the Bible? Okay. The most obvious parallels this passage, are there several places where the book of Genesis says of creation, and God saw that it was good. Vayara Elohim Kitov. Vayara Elohim Kitov. Good. Good. What's the first thing in the Bible calls good? Anybody? Light. Excellent. The light. Ayara Elohim Haor Kitov. And God saw the light that it was good. Let's just say, pardon me, it's remarkable that both passages employ the identical predicate, Yar, Ra, to see. And the object, and the, an identical objective clause, Kitov, Kitov. That is to say, each of these books, Genesis and Exodus, begins with the self-same assertion. Ra Kitov, saw it was good. Ra Kitov. As far as I've been able to discern looking over the history of exegesis, both Christian and Jewish, for the last 3,000 years. As far as I can tell, that view appears only one place, in an article in Touchstone. Okay. I would have thought it obvious, but Touchstone nailed it. This correspondence between the two narratives is certainly deliberate, God's salvific deed in Exodus is here set in an intentional parallel with his creative work in Genesis. When God looks at the light and Moses' mother looks at Moses, the experience is identical. 
This verbal harmony pertains to the deeper, subtler significance of the text. The book of Exodus is about to tell of a new creation, the creation of a chosen people. See, the, the covenant, the book of Genesis is the covenant with Noah, isn't it? Covenant with Noah. Okay, the rainbow. Oh, by the way, after I dropped off the deacon the other day, when it took, took you, you and me two hours to get from down at Virgin Mary up to his house. Two hours. Okay. After I dropped you off, it was worth it. First of all, the, the stimulating conversation. This is a very smart man. But after I dropped him off, I drove to my house, and all the way back on my left-hand side, double rainbow. Double rainbow, you know. You saw it too. The double rainbow. Saw it. Oh, I would. I'm willing to lose a whole day just to see a double rainbow. You don't get to do that very much. But see, this the rainbow, okay, which is formed of light, which is good. Okay. You have that in, in Genesis nine, right? The Book of Exodus is going to talk about another covenant, a covenant in history. Not just a covenant in nature, but a covenant in history. And that's the covenant with the chosen people. Now, there's a lot more I want to say about this. If I'm in, if I'm in Chicago on Wednesday, I might not be because some, one of my classmates died down in Evansville. In which case, you can take over the sermon. When I, if, I'm in, if I'm in Chicago Wednesday... We'll continue. We'll, we'll read exactly the same text. But I still got to talk about that little basket. You know, that, that little basket needs a lot of, a lot of help.